Hello, sister. You're listening to the Womology Podcast. This is a sacred space to honor your cyclical nature, reconnect with your innate body wisdom, and transform your health. I'm Dana Drehos, and thank you so much for being here. Welcome back to the Womology Podcast. Today, I'm here with Nika Laurie. She is a multi-certified functional and integrative nutrition practitioner, a consumer health and sustainability consultant specializing in environmental toxins, and CEO of Moringa Health and Wellness, a fully immersive brand designed to help support, educate, and counsel women preparing for pregnancy, pregnant and post-pregnancy mothers to feel great while raising health and environmentally conscious children from day one. Uh, So we're really going to be talking about the toxins that are hidden in our everyday products. It's kind of shocking how many there are and how that actually impacts our periods, our hormone health, fertility, all that good stuff. So welcome, Nika. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm always excited for an opportunity to share this information because I think it's so important and so few people really know about it. So thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. So I would love if you can share a bit of your story of how you got down this road, because I know there's like an interesting, um, what you were learning working at an Alzheimer's association that led you down this whole rabbit hole and made it your whole life's work to help people reduce their toxic load. So can you share that story? Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's a whole bunch of factors that play into it, which is I'm sure the case for everybody. Right. But the big thing that really kind of started, opening up this door for me was I used to be the development director for the Alzheimer's Association in New Mexico. And I had the privilege to work with people from all over the world. So key researchers that are looking at cognitive decline, all these different types of dementia. So I had, again, the privilege to work with them and learn directly from them. And the big takeaway from all of that was over and over and over again, we kept running into, you know, pharmaceutical medications were not helping. They maybe would mitigate some of the behavioral issues that would come from having dementia, but they weren't actually slowing down the progression of the disease. There is currently no treatment cure or prevention for dementia whatsoever. But the thing that the researchers kept finding was that changing diet and lifestyle really had huge benefits in preventing mild cognitive decline or cognitive decline in general. So cognitive decline is kind of what you see before you're fully diagnosed with dementia. And then you kind of go down that progression from that point, right? So maybe you're starting to have some memory loss, you're having a hard time recalling words, things like that. But what the researchers were finding was the bigger impacts on on health um, or preventing a cognitive decline was diet and lifestyle. And when I say diet and lifestyle, it really is mixed factors. So it's really looking at the foods we eat. It's looking at our daily physical activities. So exercising or just even walking, being out in nature, breathing clean air, those kind of things. It's our, our community engagement. So having a social environment. So not being home alone and sad and depressed, but out being engaged and social with other humans. And then 
it's also environmental factors. And so really looking at what we're exposed to on a daily basis, you know, what kind of chemicals we're coming into interaction with, whether that's um, people always think about chemicals as like, um, you know, we hear, hear about the guys that worked in the military in, in Iraq and Afghanistan with the, the big fire pits, right? And the mm-hmm. chemicals they were exposed to there mm-hmm. or factory workers exposed to it. But the reality is all painters. of us are exposed. Yeah, painters. Um, you hear a lot about like like boat workers. They work with different glues and things like that and are exposed to chemicals that way. So that's what we tend to think about. But what these researchers really started to find was that these chemicals were impacting everyone and we were all exposed to them in different levels. And so that kind of like sparked my interest. And so I started going down the functional medicine route and the more and more I learned, the more eye-opening it became about how massive this problem is and how Mm. unsupported it is right now. I don't mean unsupported by like research. I mean, like there's not enough people paying attention to it. Like there's not enough people standing up and saying, oh my God, this is an issue. This is causing lots of health issues. And there's not enough people starting to like work on solving this problem. And so it really kind of just blew the door open for me. And I became kind of obsessed, honestly, but it's been really cool and really fun. What are some surprising facts or statistics you've come across in this journey to help people kind of understand how big of a problem it really is and how like often they might be exposed to some of these things? Yeah. So, okay. So hold on because this will blow most people's minds, I think. So, <laughs> so there's anywhere between a hundred and 150,000 chemicals known to mankind around the world. We don't know the exact number um, because each country tracks their chemicals differently. Some countries don't track chemicals at all. So it's an estimate of about a hundred to 150,000 chemicals worldwide. In the U.S., we currently have about 85,000 registered chemicals. Of that 85,000, there's about 42,000 chemicals that are commonly used in everyday products. So we're thinking lotions, shampoos, laundry detergents, chemicals used to make all the pieces of plastic and everything we have around the house, things to make things flame retardant, all the pieces in our car, the fragrances that we smell and everything, the chemicals that we use to spray on vegetables when gardening or to kill weeds, all those things, right? So there's about 42,000 that are regularly used in all of the products that we have. Of those 42,000, there are only about 200 that have ever actually been tested for safety in human or environmental use. So both how it's going to impact our health as a human or how it impacts the environment as a whole. And as we know, the environment also plays a role in our health too, right? So we're exposed to chemicals in the dirt and things like that, or our soil is not as nutritious as it used to be. Not that we're eating soil, but it's a whole thing. It feeds into the fruits and vegetables we eat. Mm -hmm. So understanding that only about 200 of these chemicals have ever been tested for safety. There are only five chemicals or chemical classes that have ever been banned or really regulated by the EPA of all of those chemicals. And the vast majority of these chemicals aren't being tested and before they're put onto the market for use. And so basically the way it works right now is that we as consumers are the guinea pigs. So the manufacturer can put a chemical out that they create. They do not have to test it or prove that it's safe before it's put onto market. And that can be used in any number of products, right? And then 
Once that there are signs that a chemical is dangerous or is causing health issues, the EPA has very limited tools in their toolbox to restrict the use of that chemical. And usually what happens is there's years and years and years of litigation back and forth in the court systems. There's lobbying efforts. It goes through Congress. Sometimes there's all kinds of stuff that happens. And while all that's happening, that chemical still stays on the shelf. So consumers are still using it. A good example of that is talc powder right now. So we hear about all these things. There's commercials all the time on TV for the Johnson Johnson lawsuits and all these different companies that have used talc powder. And the the real issue with talc powder is actually it grows alongside asbestos. And asbestos, we know for sure, it's proven 100% that it causes cancer. It is a carcinogen. So talc powder itself is not necessarily harmful, but you can't remove the asbestos from the talc powder. And there's a whole, you know, we could do a whole episode about how they actually test talc powder to see if there's asbestos in it, which is, it's horrifying how jokingly they've done the testing. I mean, they'll, mm-hmm. you think of like, you know, swimming pool size pile of talc powder, they'll take a teaspoon, not even a tablespoon, a a teaspoon of it to test to see if there's asbestos. And if that teaspoon is clear, that's how we know that there isn't quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes (laughs) for the listeners, quote unquote, asbestos in it. And so that just says that it's clear all the rest of the stuff that would be in the swimming pool. And I don't know about you, but that, I mean, that is a joke to me. So, you know, but the, the point is like asbestos, right? So it's been causing cancer in women. There's all kinds of reports about ovarian and cervical cancer related back to the use of talc powder. Well, talc, so talc is still technically used in products all over the place in the U.S. Um, so thinking about our beauty products like compact powders, foundations, eyeshadows, things like that. So it's still used all over the place. You don't see it in the in the baby powders, but that doesn't mean that it's still not on the shelves being used all the time. So long-winded mm. answer, but kind of gives you the idea of what this looks like as a whole. I know there's one about lipstick that really blows yeah. my mind. Can you share that one? Yeah. So I think it was 2007 is when they did the test. So the environmental working group, the EWG is what they're usually referred to. They tested, I think it was 63 lipsticks that were big name brands, like the ones that you would find in major stores like Target, Walmart, Walgreens, all those kind of places. So they tested, I think it was 63 lipsticks, um, again, major name brands, and two thirds of them came back. I think it was 67%, if I'm correct but two thirds of them came back with high levels of lead in the lipsticks. There is 0% of exposure to lead that is safe for humans, 0%. And 67% of them had lead in them. And you think Mm -hmm. about how many times a day women are applying lipstick to their lips over and over. And every single time that's an exposure to lead. Lead Mm -hmm. causes all kinds of issues in our body. The biggest though, is it can really damage our neurons and cause developmental issues in children. It can cause behavioral issues. It can kill off neurons and essentially drop our IQ levels. So, you know, we're having a harder time thinking and recalling and doing our daily activities. And, you know, I can't directly link this, but, you know, we hear so much about brain fog all the time that, you know, women are struggling with brain fog. 
maybe that's a factor. It's a, it's Mm -hmm. a maybe, but Mm -hmm. it's something to kind of think about. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I've seen a lot of times on products, it'll say generally considered safe. What weight does that hold, if any? Yeah. So, okay. So there's a list called the grass list. I think it's generally generally regarded as safe list. And so what that list is, is a list of chemicals that are considered to be safe for use in human use products. So thinking food and personal care, beauty, cosmetics, those kind of things, right? Those chemicals on that list, the consumer is assuming that these chemicals have been tested and validated to be safe. The reality Mm -hmm. is that that is not the case whatsoever. These chemicals are considered safe regardless of testing. (laughs) And so we actually don't know at all what these chemicals do. There are a handful of them, parabens, uh, phthalates, bisphenols. So you think about like BPA was a big thing in the news a couple of years ago. So those are a couple examples of classes of chemicals. Those chemicals are endocrine disrupting chemicals. And so those impact our hormones. And the last thing you want to do in your body is mess with your hormones. So hormones play a factor in our energy. They play a factor in our ability to gain weight or lose weight. They play a factor in uh, fertility. They play a factor in our just everyday, the way we feel, the way our body functions. They play a factor in having cancer or cancer growing within the body. They play a factor in cognitive decline. They play a factor in women's health, thinking of like uh, periods and PCOS and, you know, you name it, they play a factor in. And so you do not want to mess with your hormones. And so when all of these chemicals are entering our body, They're messing with the hormones and changing how the hormones show up. Some of these chemicals even express as hormones. So they look like estrogen within the body, which can cause a whole bunch of other issues too. And this happens for both male and females, not just the women problem. It's just like, we Mm -hmm. tend to see it correlated directly more in women's health issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They are the chemical messengers in the body. They take the message from the brain and tell the cell what to do. But if that communication is disrupted, then Mm -hmm. our cells, our organs aren't going to function as they optimally should. So hearing all of this, especially maybe even for the first time for some people, it can sound really scary. Yeah. You might be like, oh my God, I... I wear lipstick. I just put on my eyeshadow just now. Like, (laughs) so how resilient is the body? Is there like a coming back from this? Yeah. So, so it's kind of a twofold answer. So there's definitely a coming back, but you have to put in the work to have that happen right Mm -hmm. now. What's happening to a lot of us is that we have poor nutrition. um, We have lack of exercise And then we have an overabundance exposure to toxic chemicals. And that's a triple whammy, which is causing so much of the health, you know, the chronic health issues that we're running into as a country, as a whole, really, you know, as a species, like, you know, this isn't just a U.S. problem. This is happening all over the world. It's just, you know, for this conversation, we can talk about here just in the United States. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when we look at poor nutrition, people are eating 
you know, the vast majority of their diet is coming from highly processed foods. So whether that's food that you're buying in the grocery store that comes in a box or a package or fast food that you're grabbing quickly on the go, right? Most people are eating that kind of food. And those foods are really high in calories, but really, really low in actual nutrient value. So thinking the vitamins and minerals that we need to be healthy, those vitamins and minerals play a factor in our body's ability to detox these chemicals that come through on a daily basis. The other thing is a lot of these foods are also covered in chemicals themselves. So thinking about the pesticides that are used to treat the plants as they're growing to keep the bugs and fungi and all those things off of them, right? So all of those pesticides, most processed food is sprayed with pesticides and herbicides. There's a lot of labeling that you start to see organic now or natural, and that's like a whole other conversation, but understanding that the food that we eat, not all, but a lot of it is covered in chemicals itself. The packaging in containers has a lot of chemicals on it and that can impact us. So thinking about soda cans or canned food, a lot of those cans are lined with BPA. And I think Mm. a lot of people aren't even aware that that's a thing. Like we know about BPA and like our plastics. We don't want plastic water bottles because it has BPA, right? Well, the food that is packaged may also be lined in BPA. And so it's another possible exposure opportunity. And then on top of that, thinking about our storage containers. So when we take food home from a restaurant and it's sitting in a, a plastic container and it's hot, maybe, maybe it's like pasta. That's a good example with like tomato sauce or Alfredo sauce, that warm uh, sauce that's kind of fatty will absorb a lot of the chemicals out of, it leaches the chemicals out of the plastic containers. And, and then eventually once you eat those leftovers, you absorb that chemical mixture as well. Hmm. And so thinking about it in that sense, so we have poor nutrition, we're exposed to chemicals in that way. We have a lot of time in front of the computers, time sitting around, not a lot of time out walking around, moving our body, moving our body. You don't have to do, you know, CrossFit or HIIT workouts, just moving your body simply, you know, going for a walk, getting up, those kind of things helps all the systems in your body work better, but especially Mm. your ability to detox these chemicals. It helps you be able to urinate. It helps you be able to excrete feces. And those things are really, really important when it comes to detoxing. And so you want to make sure that you're moving there too. Mm. And then the fact that we're just exposed to these all the time, the biggest thing that we want to think about is how are we exposed to that? And then how can we reduce that? So the biggest things that I usually tell people to do is, is learn about a couple key things because otherwise it gets really overwhelming. But if you Mm -hmm. can start to make your shift from just a couple little things at a time, and then if you're interested, grow from there. But those key things would be thinking about fragrances. So most fragrances um, are made with something called a phthalate, not all, but a lot of fragrances. So those are usually the synthetic fragrances. So we're not necessarily talking about essential oil oil scented things here. We're talking about those chemical fragrances that you would often find in lotions or perfumes, um, aerosols. So thinking about like the room sprays or the, the scents that you plug into the wall, those kind of things, mm-hmm. those can play a big factor in your health. They're pretty toxic and they're in basically everything. <laughs> and so really trying to um, limit your exposure to scented items or go for naturally. So essentially oiled 
scented items instead. Mm-hmm. The other that's thing such I'm, an important, sorry, that's no, such an important piece for women too, is because mm-hmm. we're constantly told like, especially around our vagina area, like, oh, it's not supposed to be like, you know, you got to make it smell nice. So we're like scrubbing these scented things up there or even tampons, like scented tampons Mm -hmm. and pads that are being absorbed at such a vulnerable place in our body, deodorants, perfumes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every, even I just looked at my razor and it had like that gel, like on the outside. And then I looked at the packaging on that and I was like, fragrance got me again you know yeah it was it was funny I was on the go and had to just buy a razor on the go and it was scented and I was like I was so frustrated by it because I didn't have a like it was the only one there but I was like why do I need a scented razor like Mm -hmm. I don't there's zero reason I need a scented razor but yeah that's I mean it's in everything and so you really have to figure out how to limit your exposure this is a big thing for men too and we hear so much about it Mm. for women but phthalates can play a really big role in men's infertility. They actually think it's a big reason why men's fertility is dropping so drastically. And so, you know, to maybe a listener that's having trouble getting pregnant, if that's an issue, you know, we look so much on the woman, what's wrong with the woman's system? Why isn't she coming up with an egg when, Mm. you know, half of the partner there is also the male and we have to look at that. And there, there have been some, there aren't really good direct studies, but there are a lot of personal stories that I've heard from people all over the place where they reduced just their fragrance exposure for the men and the men's sperm was actually able to come back and families were able to have children or get pregnant from that point. Mm. And so that's just a factor, but it's something to think about in, in that kind of fertility world too. And then the other thing that I, I really want people to think about is switching to organic or less processed foods as often as possible. And I know that's not an option for everybody. There's lots of food deserts. There's organics are still sometimes more expensive, but I would say when you can, if that's an option, make that choice. Mm -hmm. The first place I would start is with your fruit. So thinking about berries, apples, those kind of things, those are really heavily sprayed with pesticides. And so um, if you can go organic when you're getting your blueberries or strawberries, when you're getting your apples, that's the best choice if you can't do it all across the board. But switching to organic food as much as possible is a big area too. Mm-hmm. Those are great tips. Are there any condom brands that you recommend? Maybe yeah, not off so, the top of your head, but I can link it later. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I would have to think. Uh, I can. I can do some research. I'm married, so I, I'm not a big condom mm. user at this point. I have a. I have an IUD. So, but the thing to think about is the avoiding anything that has any of the scents or the oils and creams and all the. I'm trying to think of like the word for it. Um, the lube, lubricant. Yeah, the lube. Those kind of things. Really be careful about those. So it, it's usually better to just go for a straight silicone option is mm. is the best choice there. I don't know the brands off the top of my head, but I could definitely look some up for you and, and okay. send you some links. Cool. Yeah. Cause I was yeah. trying to look for myself actually. And mm-hmm. there were brands that were 
marketed as like toxic free and, you know, good for and like vegan and, you know, whatever that means. And, and then I look at the ingredients and it says some things and I'm like, I don't know, I'm not really sure what this is exactly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And And like you're saying, they might say it's safe, but you don't really know. (laughs) That is a huge, huge issue. Greenwashing is like the bane of my existence. Like, <laughs> like, you know, so, so vegan, vegan is a good example. So if you, if you were vegan and if you were straight vegan and you really, really care about having no relationship to animal product at all, vegan is a great label for you for the rest of us who, you know, may have feelings about animals and, and whatnot, but, but we're thinking of it as this is a health label that is a big issue because vegan does not equate to healthy. Vegan does mm-hmm. not equate to clean. And I think right. a lot of consumers are still thinking about it that way. Same thing goes for natural, right? So these terms are not regulated. Natural is not re- regulated. Technically organic is or- only sort of regulated. So the only portion of organic that's actually regulated is when you see that green circle USDA stamp on products Hmm. that is regulated beyond that a lot of products can call themselves organic and only you know 50 60 percent of the product within that full product can be organic so all the rest is still coming from uh, something that uses pesticides right the word natural is not regulated at all so people can put that you know they can put a green natural with a little leaf sticker on all their boxes and that literally means nothing and so learning what those labels mean i think is really important for consumers especially i've seen over the last couple of years you know this this movement like I'm super excited about it and I'm all for it. This movement towards more sustainable products, more clean and environmentally friendly products, you know, healthier products. We've seen a huge push for it and I think it needs to keep going, but consumers have to get really well educated in order to protect themselves because the greenwashing, so that's like the fake marketing of all these products is is only getting worse. And so we have to be as consumers, unfortunately, on top of our game when we go to buy these products. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it is that this is such an unregulated area? The real answer is money. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's like, you know, the manufacturers don't want to change what they're doing because they make billions of dollars off of it. And you know, I, I mean, I, this is totally generalizing, but I don't genuinely think that they really care about our health and wellness, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's a huge generalized statement. I get that. Yeah. But, but, you know, history tends to repeat itself. And what we've seen from all these big companies in the past, they didn't really care. And they did the least amount of steps they had to do to mitigate the issue. Right. So, you know, going back to talc powder, Baby powder with talc is still sold all over the world, even if it's not sold in the U.S. So even if the manufacturer stopped doing that here in the U.S. because there's been this huge outcry and uproar about it, they're still selling it in India. They're still selling it in South America, all over the place. And so they're still impacting the health and well-being of individuals, of humans there too. Mm -hmm. So they, they do the bare minimum, right? And the reverse just because we're in the U.S. in this, you know, developed first world country, 
clearly doesn't mean we're safe either. Like in Europe, I, I feel like they are much more regulated and controlled Absolutely. around what chemicals and weird things are put out into the population. And the U.S. is like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So the crazy thing, everyone always thinks of the U.S. as the gold standard. But when it comes to environmental toxins right now, the European Union, the um, the EU is really the gold standard. They have about 1,500 chemicals that are either banned or highly restricted versus the, the five here um, in the U.S. <laughs> so we are we are way behind on the need to protect our consumers here Mm -hmm. um, from these products. I I thought of the other example I was going to give. So, um, so BPA, for example, Mm -hmm. bisphenol A. So there's, um, there's a whole series of bisphenol chemicals. It's BPA through BPZ basically. And there's some offshoots of that too. And um, so bisphenol is, it's a hardener used in plastics to make things like, think about like the plastic um, lunch boxes or the water bottles we use or the baby bottles, those kind of things, right? So BPA, we know, um, disrupts the endocrine system. It highly impacts children, which is a big issue because it used to be used in all kinds of baby bottles and lunch boxes and those kind of things. So when the whole push to get BPA out of these products was publicized and kind of became this national conversation, the manufacturers were like, okay, great. We'll be awesome. We'll take out BPA. So they took out BPA from other products. Well, they just replaced it with BPF or BPS. And those are actually thought to be more hazardous than BPA was in the first place. So they're regrettable replacements, basically. So everything's labeled BPA free, but the reality is it still has bisphenol in it, which is hazardous to our health. And so it's really a matter of avoiding those types of products altogether. And so instead of buying a plastic water bottle, whether that's reusable or disposable, the better alternative would go for a stainless steel that is not coated um, or a glass water bottle. And then, so thinking about like our Tupperware as well, like getting rid of the plastic Tupperware containers and replacing those with glass options. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a silicone-based lunch container for my daughter instead of the plastic ones. The metals tend to be really heavy and she's still pretty small. And so I went for a silicone-based option. So it's kind of figuring out how to avoid it altogether opposed to believing the labeling on the products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking more actually about what you personally do for you and your family to help reduce your exposure to these toxins, what are some tips that you have for maybe around the home or certain kind of items you use products? Yeah. So, so I'll say two things with that to start with. One is, I mean, this is like, I'm obsessed with this. This is my thing. And so I've, I don't be overwhelmed. yeah, Yeah. Like I've done a lot to avoid this kind of stuff. But the other thing that I'll add to that is it's taken me years to do it and I'm still working on it every day. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to improve a little thing. Right. And so I don't want the listener to think that they need to go out tomorrow and throw away everything because Mm -hmm. that's not a reality. Like 
when it's expensive, you know, cost of everything's crazy, mm-hmm. you know, so start small, do little things one at a time. Um, when you finish your shampoo and conditioner, look for a better alternative the next time you purchase. When you finish this cosmetic, you know, bottle, whatever that's foundation or mascara or whatever, look for a cleaner alternative the next time you go to buy, right? So mm-hmm. don't feel like you just have to throw everything away. The other thing to understand is that chemicals are everywhere and not all chemicals are bad, right? So water technically is a chemical and we need water. So understanding that some chemicals are dangerous, a lot of chemicals are not. It's understanding which specific chemicals are dangerous and how to avoid those specific ones. Things that I've done around the house. So the first place I started was in my kitchen. I actually really made an effort to go organic and to remove a lot of processed foods or the processed foods that I still use. So a salad dressing, for instance, um, I use one that has very few ingredients and has really clean ingredients. Thinking about like pastas, I moved to a, I actually do gluten-free pastas because there's a whole debate on gluten, but I I moved to that because you can find a lot more that are organic options there too. And so thinking about that, right, still a processed food, but I went for the organic option there Mm -hmm. and it has the little USDA label on it because you want to make sure that it's actually a certified organic option. So really, I started with the foods and started cleaning that stuff out. I then went to my personal care and my cosmetics. This one took a long time because... When I started, there were very few clean brands, basically. There are a lot of brands out there that people think are clean. There's some big name brand ones that people think are clean. But when you actually flip it over and you read the the labels, you can see where there's phthalates and parabens and fragrances listed and things like that. That reminds me of two things to say. When you see the label fragrance or when you see the label natural flavor. So we're talking about food, natural flavors, natural or artificial flavors, or when you see fragrance or perfume or something like that in say a personal care product, like soaps or lotions or clean products, those kind of things. Those are loopholes where the manufacturer does not have to tell us what chemical is being used there. So in a fragrance, for instance, They could use any number of that 85,000 chemicals. I think there's about 1,200 phthalates, registered phthalates. And so any number of those, you could use 30 to make up that fragrance. And so they don't have to tell us what that is because it's a proprietary scent. They don't have Mm. to share it with the public. And so you don't actually know what you're exposed to even when you read the labels, if it says perfume or fragrance. And the same goes for food when it comes to flavoring. Flavoring Mm -hmm. is considered proprietary. And so they don't have to share that. So we don't actually know what we're eating when you see natural or artificial flavors. So trying to avoid those kind of things when you flip the product over and reading the ingredients is really key too. Mm -hmm. Um, But back to the thing. So cleaning up food, cleaning up personal care. And then the other thing I would say is filter your water. So if you can do a reverse osmosis under your sink, or at least have a filter through your fridge or something like that, that's, that's a better option too. Okay. Wow. And so how do we spoke a little bit before, but like, how do these endocrine disruptors actually affect our hormone health? Like how does it translate from, you know, using my perfume to now I have like really heavy, painful periods? 
Yeah. So there's still a lot of research going on about how these are impacting our body. The thing to think about there too, is it's not just necessarily. So, you know, we do one spritz of the perfume and then we're going to have a horrible period. That's not necessarily the case. What's happening is that, you know, so we do one spritz of perfume and then we eat some kind of pesticide covered food. And then we go outside, we breathe all the smog and then we drink a glass of water that has who knows how many chemicals in it mm-hmm. because it hasn't actually been cleaned and filtered that well, and you know, skip and our so workout and right. Go to yeah, our stress, skip our- stressful job. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so it's this compounding effect. Right. And so we're exposed all the time to all these different things. And so what happens is the body gets overwhelmed and we're not able to process these chemicals the way our body is normally designed to do. Some of the chemicals also cannot be processed whatsoever. So PFAS, for example, that's this is starting to kind of, you hear a lot about it in um, the news lately too. So PFAS and PFOS, they are usually considered fire retardants or water resistant chemicals. They're used for other things too, but those are kind of the big two. So these are considered forever chemicals and one, they can last forever in the environment. So whatever's out there is going to be out there forever or thousands of years. And then the ones that enter our body, our body has no way of processing them. So they just sit in our body. There was an interesting study that happened a couple of years ago. Some researchers tried to find blood that did not have PFAS in it. They went all over the world. They went to the tribes in the Amazon that basically have no exposure to the outside world. Even their blood had PFAS in it. They had to go and find blood that had been saved from World War II men that were in the military. So before PFAS had been invented, that was the only place that they could find blood because everyone they tested all over the world already had PFAS in their blood. So that means all of us are exposed to this. It sits in our body forever. And so one thing that happens is when your body is not able to process these chemicals, they will move it. The body moves it over into fat cells and stores it in the fat. And so you might hear the term weight loss resistant. People who are doing everything right, they're eating great, they're exercising, they're doing everything and they still can't lose weight. A lot of times it's because these chemicals sit in the fat of our body and our body isn't able to process these chemicals. And so in order to protect ourselves, the body refuses to burn that fat and the chemicals stay there safely. They're like, it's like a lockbox for those chemicals. That's what that fat is. And so a lot of people will struggle. They'll, they'll lose weight and then they'll kind of plateau. Some of that can be the factor of the body doesn't have anywhere to put all these chemicals or can't detox them fast enough. And so it, it stops losing weight so that it can hold those chemicals in that fat cell. Hmm. I'm not sure. I, I think I've, I think I've delved off your question. I don't remember what it is anymore, but (laughs) (laughs) like, how do we go from in taking all these chemicals to then our fertility is impacted? Oh, right. Right. Yeah. So I got totally off the thing there. Sorry. (laughs) So, yeah. So, so I guess it still kind of plays into that, but what happens over time is that some of these chemicals will either increase our estrogen load. So when we have too much estrogen, our body will try to counter react and make more testosterone. Too much testosterone can be a factor in PCOS. I believe it's a factor in endometriosis. I don't know that hundred percent 
for sure, but I believe it is too. So thinking about those two kind of things, it can change the way our hormones are communicating with each other. And so it can trigger the periods to start late or not happen at all. It can trigger the periods to be heavier than they normally would be because there's either too much estrogen or not enough progesterone or too much testosterone. And these are such delicate hormones that you really have to have balanced out basically perfectly for the body to work in the natural manner it's supposed to. And so anytime these things are offset, you're going to have some type of impact and having uncomfortable, really painful, difficult periods or not having periods at all. That's not normal. And, you know, a lot of times physicians will just prescribe birth control or some type of medication or send you home and tell you to take a Motrin because your cramps suck and just deal with it. Everybody has bad cramps. That's not actually true at all. And there are lots of factors that can play into it. So in that sense, it's not just chemical toxins. It can also be the food you're eating. It can be the stress and everyday activities that you have going on. It can be a whole number of things. So you really want to start looking at kind of the root cause factor of what's happening behind there and treat that opposed to using birth control or medications to manage the symptoms of those. But environmental toxins definitely play a role in in that because of the impact on the hormones. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up that birth control piece because so often it's we're told that it's treating PCOS. It's a treatment it's, for endometriosis yeah. when it's not actually treating anything. It's just kind of shutting down your natural hormones so yeah. that you don't feel the impact of it and and pumping in like synthetic hormones, which makes the problem worse. And that's why people come off of birth control and all of those problems, all of those symptoms come back because nothing was changed. Nothing about their environment or their food was changed. I hear all the time about, you know, women who had painful periods in their teens or early twenties, the physician put them on some type of hormonal birth control They were on it for 10 years. They are now in their thirties and want to have a kid and they have PCOS or endometriosis that was never diagnosed. And so you have the damage that came from that. And then on top of that, because their hormones have been messed with so long, they have infertility struggles. And so, so I'm not saying that there isn't a place for birth control. That's not my issue at all. It's let's look at what's actually causing these factors first. So we treat them and make sure that they're okay so that we don't necessarily have to be on a hormonal type of birth control if that's not the right answer for us long-term. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So are there any kind of tools like an app or something like that, that you use to determine, like, let's say you're at the grocery store, you're looking at a product and you're looking at the ingredients and you're like, I don't know, I'm not really sure. Like, is this good or not so good? Is there some sort of resource that we can use? Yeah. So the the great thing is there's a couple things that are really useful tools that you can take with you. One thing that I'm actually trying to work on, um, hoping to launch in January is a marketplace of all these clean products that people can just Yay. go to this one place and just search oh. based off of whatever 
they, you know, whatever brand or category they're looking for and actually find fully vetted clean products. And so hopefully it's, we're working on it, but it's, so it's coming, but for, for now, or even alongside that, I think the great options, and I have no actual direct connection to these whatsoever. They're just tools that I've used and and love. There's a company called Yuka. I think they're out of France. They're, they follow the European standards, which like we talked about earlier, pretty strict, So they are an app that you can download. It's a barcode scanner. And so you can scan the back of personal care or cosmetic products and it'll flag it in a red light system. So red, green, yellow of um, red being dangerous chemicals, yellow being potentially, but not 100% sure, green being clean and okay to use. Um, And so you can scan that and see which products are flagged and which ones are not. The thing I like about Yuka the best is that when you scan a product and it's flagged with red chemicals, it'll give you some suggestions for potentially cleaner products. And so it kind of mm. helps you navigate that a little bit, especially when you're getting started. The other app that's great in that sense is Think Dirty. So Think Dirty, they they are pretty much just cosmetics and personal care, both of these apps. So that's the one kind of struggle that I find there. They mm. don't tend and to do it for food, but Think Dirty does it as well. They have a barcode scanner that you can use. And then the Environmental Working Group has two apps. They have a personal care and a food app. I don't find that they're quite as robust as the other two, so I don't use them as often. I used the food app when I was first starting out before I kind of knew everything I know now. Um, So I think for beginners, the Environmental Working food ingredient app is great. And you can find all of these in Apple or Google app platforms. And then the the other one that um, is fairly new, but can be helpful too, is a, is a Chrome extension. So you actually download it into your web browser and that's called Clearia. And that'll help you identify stuff when you're say shopping on like Amazon or target.com or something like that. It'll tell you clean or not for the ingredients. And so that's helpful because the app's it's just for scanning barcodes. They don't tell you while you're shopping online. So that it's nice to have kind of the two options there. Mm-hmm. So those are really kind of the big four. There's there's a couple others out there, but those are the biggest, most used, most robust options. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And you are a resource for people. So do you want to share a bit about how people can work with you and learn more from you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at nikalori.com or morangahealthandwellness.com. There's lots of resources on both sites. I have a site or a page on my personal website, the nikalori.com. It's got lots of videos and articles and books and things like that. So if you want to dive down into this rabbit hole more, that's a really great place to start. Anytime I see something like a documentary or a new news um, story or something that talks about how these are impacting us, I'll usually link it and add it in. And it's got a whole bunch of different things that can be helpful. So that's a great place to start. And then I'm also available. I work with clients all the time. So I'll do personalized home home edits or home audits. So we can actually look at your home and go room by room and clear out different products and talk about how they might be impacting you and alternatives that are healthier options for you too. Mm, amazing. I love that. Well, thank you so thank you. much, Nika, for coming and sharing all of this 
mind-blowing information. (laughs) I know I always worry I overwhelm everybody, but yeah, (laughs) there's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, no, but you know, as long as we know that the body really is resilient, especially the liver is like absolutely the detox organ and it's the most resilient organ. So there is things that we can do to reduce our toxic load and support our liver and all the things. So Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Start small and just keep building from there. That's the key. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. If you desire to go deeper, I invite you to follow me on Instagram at Dana.Drehos or visit my website, DanaDrehos.com for more free resources and ways to work together. Wishing you peace, love, and health.